the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? You lucky team, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to The Tom Sumner Show. Bye. 
and repeats in my ear. Don't you know, little fool, you never can win. You show mentality. Come. Before I begin now, hey little Alan said I got you, I got you, I got you on my my skin. And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guests this hour work together on uh, a uh, picture book autobiography um, of a child of immigrants. It's called Watercress. And it's uh, written by Andrea Wang and illustrated by Jason Chin. And they both join me by phone. Hi, Andrea. Hi, Jason. Welcome to the show. Hi, Tom. Thanks Thanks for having having us. How did the two of you get together to work on this project? Uh, Andrea wrote the text first, and uh, my editor acquired it and then brought it to me. So we didn't know each other before uh, before this process began. And when I uh, first read the text, I was uh, really blown away. It's so emotionally uh, resonant and beautifully written. And, um, it, you know, I, I knew that I, I wanted to illustrate it, but I was also very nervous because it's such a personal story of Andrea's. Um, so our editor, in his great wisdom, introduced us and um, I got to have a conversation with Andrea, and we shared some stories, and after that I felt much more comfortable taking on the project. But you also, Jason, had to um, maybe, uh, what, what, how, how can I put this, adopt a, a slightly different style for these illustrations? Right, so um, I'll tell you how that came about. Uh, I typically paint in watercolor, and I paint in a, a realistic style um, in kind of a Western tradition. And um, when I was preparing to illustrate this book, I went out into uh, cornfields near my house to paint corn because there is a lot of corn in this book. Um, so I wanted to learn how to paint corn. I want to study it. 
as I was doing that, um, it occurred to me that corn and bamboo are very similar plants. They're both grasses. Uh, they share many similarities in form. Um, they're also iconic plants of uh, American culture and Chinese culture. So I thought it would be great to use them as a motif in the book to represent the two cultures. And that led me to start studying Chinese bamboo paintings and Chinese landscape paintings. And I decided to draw on some of that aesthetic, um, some of the qualities in those paintings, and bring them into my own artwork uh, in the way I painted the corn uh, and the bamboo, and also uh, the landscape in watercress. So you ended up learning something a little little more than just simply Andrea's story. Oh, sure, yeah. It's always um, making art, making books, for me, is uh, always a learning process. Um, I think that's what keeps the art fresh. So I always try and learn something new or, or attempt something new. Um, and, and in this case, I was, in a way, returning to some of my artistic, uh, I don't know if I want to say roots, but um, early on in, in when I was in college, in, in the beginning of, I guess, my artistic career, um, uh, I studied in China and I learned about Chinese art. Um, some of the ideas I learned influenced my art, but I hadn't really returned to it um, uh, very intentionally until I did this book. Um, and, and so that was really nice. And and the illustrations are, are magnificent, Jason. Let me just say that. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Now, Andrea, what what age would you say the book is is uh, really targeted for? And why do an autobiography for that group? That's a great question. Well, my publisher would say that the book is, since it's a picture book, it's targeted for readers ages 4 to 8, but I like to think of it as being from 4 to 100 because the themes in it are so universal. Um, and I chose to write it. It's semi-autobiographical. I have sort of condensed some time in it, um, but I felt like it was important to share a slice of my life to, you know, illustrate the lives of uh, an Asian-American family, uh, an immigrant family, and to humanize their experiences for readers. And how, how interesting or, or, or how um, significant is it that this book is coming out at a time when there's been so much in the headlines about uh, hateful behavior toward Asian-Americans? At the time, you know, that I was writing the book and that Jason was illustrating it, I don't think either of us could ever imagine that that what has come to pass in the past year has come to pass, um, which, you know, the anti-Asian sentiment has been terrible. But it is the book is very timely. It's, um, as I said, it humanizes the AATI and immigrant experience. And it also shows the beauty of the United States and you know, sort of the joy and of discovering and connecting to your heritage no matter where you're from. And I think that readers will hopefully find shared connections um, between people of all ethnicities. 
and Andrea, it's it's especially poignant because the family is is Chinese American. Yeah, yes. I mean, I uh, I wrote that it that way because that's how I identify as Chinese American, um, and you know, I think that my parents came to this country in the hopes of a better life, like so many immigrants do, and that it's important for, you know, all of us to know that this country was built on the backs of immigrants. So um, it is coming out at a really important time. And you both have had successful um, projects, Um, Andrea, you as an author, and Jason, you as an illustrator, but with the pandemic, is this a, a very strange and different time to be releasing a book? I'd say it is. We're doing a lot of uh, Zoom events and um, not uh, being able to meet and talk face-to-face with readers and librarians and teachers like we normally would. Um, and, uh, and a lot of the events, we're not sure who we're talking to because the uh their, their screen or their faces are hidden from us. So, so that's, um, I'd say, uh, strange. I, I look forward to going back to, to meeting people, and especially kids, and being able to go into schools and talk to the children um, and share the book with them. And Andrea, how about same same question for you, Andrea? But I'll um, twist it just a, a little bit because writing, um, and and I suppose this is true of illustration as well. But writing is such a solitary thing. Do you really enjoy interacting with uh, uh, readers and and doing book signings and a lot of that promotional stuff after a book comes I- out? I do. I really do enjoy meeting with my readers, especially students. I miss going into schools and, and you know, they have such energy and um, I can sort of feed off that energy and we can have uh, an interactive discussion about the book. It is sort of much harder uh, in the virtual world to anticipate what the questions might be um, from young readers and I miss hearing their stories about how they connect to the book. So um, I'm very much looking forward to when we can all meet in person again. Well, hopefully uh, that won't be too far off. I, I live in Michigan, and, and it's easy to, to to be a little down right now because the cases of COVID are surging here. But, uh, but hopefully with uh, vaccine and a little more patience, we'll, we'll get through it and, and get back to those things. More with author Andrea Wang and illustrator Jason Chin straight ahead. Tom Sumner, Program.com The Tom Sumner, Program.com from the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Vi from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You are, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yellow. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. 
Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with author Andrea Wang and illustrator Jason Chin straight ahead. The story itself, um, Andrea, is based on something that actually happened to you and your family? Yes. Uh, I grew up in rural Ohio, and my parents did spot watercrests as they were driving by. I don't know how they did, but they did. And we came to sort of, you know, a screeching halt, and we all got out of the car and, and were told to go pick it. And uh, that was not a great experience for me. You know, I felt already like an outsider in my small town, and this just made me feel even more embarrassed. Um, and my, you know, my parents did live through the Chinese Civil War. They never really talked about that experience. I think they were, you know, trying to protect me and my brother um, from, you know, seeing those hardships in life. But I think that they were also trying to sort of protect themselves. They just wanted to move forward. But, you know, I felt like sharing, when they finally started sharing some of their family stories, um, like the mother does in the book, is when I finally began to see them as people and really appreciate what they had gone through and, and where we came from. What is, what is it that you hope uh, readers will get from this book, especially young readers? I hope that they see themselves represented, um, and I hope that they also see that children um, from all different walks of life have, at some point, felt like they didn't belong, and that there's a way to move past that and to um, embrace who you are. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think... Um Picture books are, you know, a kind of book that is often shared, you know. Um, a lot of times we're reading books alone, but picture books are shared between uh, children and parents, and I hope that this book um, can help foster discussions about family history, uh, about uh, where we come from, about belonging and um, embarrassment, you know, like the character in the book is embarrassed. Um, so I, I, I really hope that the book can uh, foster those discussions and sharing of stories and build bridges. Jason, how did uh, your collaboration with Andrea and, and your reading of this book resonate with your own experiences with, uh, with your parents? Sure. Um, so my father is a child of Chinese immigrants, um, and so I'm one generation removed from immigration from from my grandparents, right? Um, his experience growing up was, I think, much sim more similar to Andrea. And so when I first read the te text, the first thing I thought about was my father's stories of being embarrassed by uh, his Chinese parents and the food that that he uh, ate. Um, now, fast forward to, to my experience growing up, my father, um, and, or both of my parents, uh, made a concerted effort to um, share ch our Chinese heritage with our community. Um, they were always bringing Chinese food to church suppers, for example, or inviting uh, my friends and their parents to our house to eat 
Chinese food with chopsticks and um, at Chinese New Year. And their model of um, taking pride in uh, Chinese heritage uh, really helps me. It, it, you know, I didn't feel that sense of uh, not belonging, I think, as much as I might have otherwise, um, even though we were you know, one of two Asian families in our small rural town in New Hampshire. Uh, that's where I grew up. Um, so I, I think I look to their example as, as a way uh, of building bridges as, as something that I, I uh, aspire I, to. I, I think that's oh. fairly brilliant of your parents, Jason, to take uh, Chinese food to, um, you know, public gatherings yeah. like that. For I, yeah. What is it about about food that we're so that that crosses uh um ethnic and cultural barriers Boy, um, i don't know but it does doesn't it um, i just I, I just find I that fascinating i hear some of the awful things that are said about uh the latin x community and and now recently you know these these horrible acts against uh Asian Americans and 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 then I, you know, I I think of you know all of the different the diversity of restaurants and food that that people consume without thinking twice. Yeah, I think food can be a, a you know it's universal. You know, we all need to eat, and and food from all cultures it tastes good. You know, um, and. And it can be uh, such a uh, a great bridge, a great uh, way to share culture. Um, and um, yeah, I, I hope. Wouldn't it, it wouldn't it be, be fun if if a bunch of people from different backgrounds got together and the rule was bring a dish? When when I was so I when I was young in. Uh, you know, around five years old, I lived in Michigan, um, and my parents, I had to go to school and lived in uh, the student housing there. And many of the graduate students from, were from um, overseas. From was that at, was that at U of M from the Middle East? And we had that was a real event. They had uh, you know community potluck uh, dinners, and we had food from all over the world at them. It was. Um, I have fond memories of those events. Was that at U of M in Ann Arbor? Uh, that was at uh, Michigan State University. Oh, you were in East Lansing then. Yeah, in East Lansing, that's right. And Jason's uh, story about his parents sharing Chinese food at potluck suppers has uh, made me remember just now how my own mother used to teach Chinese cooking classes at the local community center. And uh, she would also have people over where, you know, we would share, she would share Chinese food at our house, and my father taught at the local college, and sometimes his students would come over, and they also were very proud of their heritage, but um, unlike Jason, I, I was more embarrassed by these things than, <laughs> than uh, you know, celebrating them. I didn't recognize at the time what my parents were trying to do, but food really, you know, crosses communities, um, crosses these divides, and sh there's no better way to enjoy food than to share it with someone. 
So, um, you know, why why were you why were you embarrassed by that? I, I would think that would be, you know, a, a source of of great coming together and joy and fun. <laughs> I think I was just a super sensitive child, and um, I already felt like I didn't belong. You know. Um, Seeing myself in school, I was an American in my grade. Andrea, I I almost picture you as a little girl saying, "Even our food is different." <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I did that. The, when you look at the spread where Jason drew the girl with her arms crossed, uh, sitting at the dinner table, refusing to eat that watercress. That's totally me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that feeling of not belonging just. Um, uh, there's something I think all children feel, right, at some point. And it may not be about your culture. No, uh, they just, they don't know where uh, they you fit know, you, yet. Right, and so growing right. up is, in a way, learning uh, where you fit in and, and um, learning about your family's heritage can, can really help. I think that's what we hope this book fosters. Well, that's... that's uh that's fantastic. The um, now, what's what's next for you, Andrea? Do you um, do you write full time? I do write full time. Um, I have my first novel, uh, so that's for ages eight to twelve, coming out this fall, um, and it is also a story about a Chinese American girl who is sort of coming to terms with her own identity in a small town, um, also in Ohio. So as you can see, I draw uh, a lot upon my own personal experiences. I also have another picture book coming out with the same editor for Watercrest, Neil Porter, um, and that's coming out, I believe, next year. And it is all about the origin of uh, the word for tea, the drink, um, yeah. and how it comes from from uh, just a couple of dialects in Chinese. And as tea was, you know, exported from China around the world, that word has, has morphed, but only a little bit. So you could say cha in Mandarin, or you can say chai, and, and you could, it sort of traces the, uh, the transformation of the word and how people drink it around the world. And Jason, I've I've done you a little bit of a disservice, and I apologize. You are also an author. You're the illustrator of this book, but you you write as well. Oh, that's fine. Um, yes, I, I write as well. Normally, I write uh, and illustrate books about science and nature. Um, my last book was called Your Place in the Universe. Um, it's about cosmology and how big the universe is. Uh, so that's normally the kind of things I write about. But, uh, so, so what's I next? I get to do more books with Andrea. <laughs> um, <laughs> what's next? Like what's <laughs> next for you? Will you be working on this project with Andrea, or do you have something else you're moving on to? Uh, so the next book is uh, actually one that I'm in the process of making, and it is about the scale of small things. So, my previous book was about the largest things, the observable universe, and. My next book will be about the smallest things, elementary particles and atoms, and um, it gives the kids a sense of uh, what the world is made of. Andrea, how did you get started writing? 
Oh, I um, have wanted to write ever since I was very little. I actually have um, kept a handmade book from the third grade where I wrote my own author bio that says I want to be a writer when I grow up. I think I was a very shy, sensitive child, and I um, spent a lot of my time reading and, you know, decided to try my hand at writing stories as well. Um, I did, you know, grow away from that because my parents, being very practical uh, people, wanted me to have a more stable career. But uh, when my children were born, I came back to reading picture books and just fell in love with that format and have been writing ever since. Do you expect, uh, now this next one, this next book you're working on is going to be a picture book as well. Is is that a, a genre that you want to stay with? Or you said you were doing a novel. I'd like to keep writing both picture books and novels. They're very different. Um, and what I can do in a novel is, you know, write much more descriptively, and I love that, but I also love the picture book format, which is so spare and where every word matters so much, but I'm also, you know, so lucky to have the illustrations that work hand-in-hand with the text. You know, they each complement each other, and there's just such beauty in that. And and what about uh, your books, um, Jason? Being an illustrator, are you um, when you write a book? Is, is it all bunch of pictures with notes in the margins? It goes back and forth. And certainly, <laughs> when I write, I I imagine image. I'm a visual writer. I write with images in in mind, um, and uh, very quickly I move to drawing pictures. Um, you know, I was a, a drawer, I was a visual person before I started writing books. Um, so my, my process is very fluid between the words and the pictures. Yeah, just, I, I just have this feeling that people who, who can draw and, and do illustrations, that their, their first drafts have these, these little doodles and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, it, it it yeah it happens a lot. I, there was a quote from Maurice Sendak who said that you know who, who advised I think he advised like illustrators you know don't draw first write first the pictures are too seductive. <laughs> but uh, so uh, I, I I think that's an interesting approach um, and I think I understand what he means on some level. Um, well the. Um Andrea, you started to say something, and I and I cut you off, and I apologize. No worries. I am not sure what I was going to say. <laughs> I don't recall. <laughs> well, we were talking about the writing process. If you're writing picture books, um, do do you experience that? Do you have ideas that you sort of write in the in the in the margins about? What where pictures should be and and what they might be of or do you just write the copy and let the illustrator make those determinations? It depends on the book. 
And so for a couple of my previous books, I did have art notes, um, but very few because I really want the illustrator to be able to um, interpret the text for themselves and to, you know, draw pictures that fulfill their own vision of what the story is about. And when the book was acquired, when Watercrest was acquired, I didn't have an art note in the text at all. And um, I believe that the editor, you know, as Jason has told me, actually takes out any art notes that would be there to allow the illustrator complete freedom. But when I knew that Jason was taking on um, doing the artwork, I just completely left it up to him. I mean, I, I trust him completely. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been amazing. He's done an amazing job. It's been more than I ever could have hoped for. You know, the, the, you trust trust me more than I trust myself. <laughs> <laughs> how does? But how does? Is there collaboration during the uh, um, during the process, or do you write copy, hand it off, it gets illustrated, and then you see proofs? In that's most the books, typical way. Yeah, that's the typical way. In this case. Um, you know, I got to meet Andrea and, um, you know, share stories and get to know her a little bit, which was really important for me to feel comfortable illustrating this uh, very personal story of hers. And um, as I was working, I, uh, I shared some pictures with her and asked her questions about like, what would be on the dinner table. Um, and... Uh, one tidbit is that the parents don't have water glasses on the dinner table because her parents didn't uh, drink water at the dinner table. Um, but I gave them to the kids because I thought, well, the kids maybe wanted to feel more American, so they had their water glasses there. Um, so I was able to ask her questions about her life, which I think was really important uh, for the book. Is it unusual um, for you, Jason, to interact with the uh, with the author, um, or, or do you, uh, or is it unusual it is for you to illustrate for someone else because you write and illustrate your own books? Yeah, um, I typically do. Uh, I alternate between books I illustrate uh, by other authors and my own books, uh, and it is unusual to have this much direct contact with the author um, that Andrew and I had. Uh, usually, contact with the author goes through the editor. And, um, so, you know, I've, I've met the authors after the fact and, and everything, but um, during the creative process, um, this was a much more collaborative effort, and I think it had to be that way, and I'm very grateful that it was. And, Andrea, I did it again. I, I cut I've you ever... off. <laughs> oh, that's okay. I was just going to say that I don't think I've ever shared um, baby pictures and other family photos <laughs> with any other illustrator. Um, but for this book, I think it was important, and um, it was kind of fun to go, you know, back in time. I, I just want to give kudos to Jason for doing so much research and for all the care and attention he put into all the details to make it so authentic. Um, you know, all I had yeah. to do was oh. sort of like mine my own memories. <laughs> I feel like I had the easier job here. Well, you know, my, my, that's 
the job of the illustrator, right, is to read the words and um, empathize and sympathize with the characters and each of the characters in the book. And uh, so doing the research, uh, painting the core, going to the museums and reading the history of Chinese history um, was my way of getting into the heads and grounding myself as I was preparing to create this artwork. Um, and, um, you know, I hope this book is, uh, is a story. I hope this book gives people a way of, um, empathizing and understanding the characters in the book as, as I have um, tried to do. Well, Andrea, Jason, uh, we've got to wrap it up here. I, I can't believe how fast the time has gone. But I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Um, and, and I'll start with Andrea. Do you have a website? I do. It is com, and links to where you can buy the book and to all my social media accounts are there. Great. And Jason, how about you? Do you have a website as well? Yes, my website is jasonchin.net, and links to my social media accounts are there as well. Well, thank you both. This has been uh, a delightful conversation, and uh, keep up the good work. Thank Thank you you so much much for having us. Take care. That was, um, let's see, let me get this right now. Andrea Wang. Author of Watercress is the name of the book. It was illustrated by Jason Chin, who we got to talk to as well. And we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. This is the Unknown Comic, 
And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Vi from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. 
More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Now, in order for you to understand what I'm going to do next, I have to go way back and speak about my great-grandfather, whom we traced back to Marie Antoinette. As a matter of fact, my great-grandmother traced him back there a couple of times. But he was partly responsible for the birth of my grandfather. He thought. <laughs> my grandfather was born in Denmark. He was Danish after his mother and Swedish after a friend of his father's. <laughs> he was one of the great inventors of his time. He invented the burglar alarm, which unfortunately was stolen from him. <laughs> He was a brilliant man. He was, among other things, a PhD. Just a. (laughs) So was his wife. However, besides being a brilliant. He also was a great chemist. He was the one who invented the cure for which there was no disease in the world. (laughs) Unfortunately, his wife later caught the cure and died. (laughs) He was a strange personality. He always experimented with something. Once he, um, he crossed an Idaho potato with a sponge. <laughs> Imagine that silly idea. It tasted horrible. <laughs> but it sure held a lot of gravy. I think his greatest invention was a soft drink, which he called Four Up. (laughs) But it wasn't successful at all. So he invented Five Up. But still it didn't click, you know. Then came Six Up. But still nobody liked it. So he gave up and died heartbroken a couple of weeks later. But little did he know how close he came. Then I was born, and when that happened, my parents were, well, they were not poor, but they didn't have any money. (laughs) So I was actually born at home. And when my mother saw me, she was taken to the hospital. (laughs) 
one day, when I was four years old, my father came home. And he found me in the living room in front of a roaring fire, which made him very angry because we didn't have a fireplace. <laughs> there I sat, and here my father stood, burning up. He pointed at me, see, my father was left-handed. He always pointed this way. I was sitting on the other side. So my father said, Borger, he didn't know my first name. See, in my father's family, we had a little trouble up here. In the head. My father was all right, but his two brothers, my male uncles. No, in Denmark, we always distinguish, you know. I don't know if you're familiar with the fact that we have three sexes over there. Male, female, and convertible. Matter of fact, I was supposed to have been back to Denmark this summer. But I ain't going. <laughs> oh, once I made up my mind what I was going to be, and that's the way it's going to be. <laughs> what I meant to tell you before was, and this is not a joke, this is really a fact, that Two weeks ago, we celebrated my uncle's 103rd birthday. Isn't that something? Thank you very much. 103rd birthday. Unfortunately, he wasn't present. Could he be? He died when he was 29. <laughs> but what I meant to say was that he was the one who went crazy. And his mother used to say that he went crazy because he never got the woman he loved. And that's a lot of nonsense because his brother went just as crazy. <laughs> and he got her. <laughs> This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Wash my hands. I don't touch my face. I stay at home. Shelter in place. Don't go to work I wear a mask and gloves Stay away from church I avoid old folks And should I sneeze I do it in my elbow Or up my Feet apart That 
I'm washing my hands like a raccoon with OCD. I've watched Hulu, Roku, Netflix, PBS, and the BBC. I've taken down all my mirrors, and I'm sick of what I see. Of quarantine will be the death of me. The death of me. I risk a trip to the grocery store to buy TP and a few things more. But when I get there, all I can find. Sixteen honey buns and some mad dog wine. I'm washing my hands like a raccoon with OCD. I've watched Hulu, Roku, Netflix, PBS, and the BBC. I've taken down all my mirrors 'cause I'm sick of what I see. So this quarantine's gonna be the death of me. The death of me. You know they say this is war, but we don't have to storm Omaha Beach or Pork Chop Hill. And we just lay here on the couch and watch TV. Whew, I'd rather volunteer for a high-risk commando raid to parachute into Wuhan and find that little fellow that ordered that bat soup. I know I'm talking out of my head, saying crazy stuff over and over, like "Yes, dear, yes, dear." At breakfast, I meant to say, "Honey, please pass me the pepper." Well, what slipped out was, "You crazy woman, you've ruined my life." <laughs> of course, I immediately apologized. <laughs> as soon as I regained consciousness. Well, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. There's Smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down to the hall to the uh, living room. But I'll be back tomorrow with Armchair Politics, a uh, very special edition of Armchair Politics. I hope you tune in, but I want to say uh, my apologies if you tuned in to hear uh, David Bradford from the Stanford Graduate School about his book, Connect. We're going to try and reschedule that. That was uh, planned live, but it did give me a chance to share an interview I did a week ago with Andrea Wang and Jason Chin. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.